Amen. All right. Hey, it started out just like any other typical day in this wonderful mountain paradise. Check this out. The birds were singing. Tourists were hiking. Animals of various kinds were frolicking and playing. That's right. Enjoying another sunny day in this nature preserve. But all that was to change. That's right, guy. In a matter of seconds. Suddenly, precisely 8.32 a.m. on a Sunday morning, an earthquake struck beneath this mountain which allowed the partly molten, highly pressurized gas and steam to suddenly explode. Boom! Causing the entire north face of this mountain to totally disappear. In fact, it exploded with such a force that it actually produced the largest landslide ever recorded, traveling at a speed, listen, at 155 miles an hour. It destroyed everything in its path. And it was carrying trees and rocks, giant boulders, even a mixture of hot lava. It dumped into nearby lakes and streams as far as 13 miles away, clogged them up with debris and stuff for 24 square miles. In fact, listen, some of the lakes were still covered with trees and with debris and trees some 30 years later. But that was just the eruption out the side. The eruption also went out the top with a huge ash column for uh, 15 miles straight into the air, continued for the next 10 straight hours with the force of 26 megatons. In fact, so high and so much debris was blown up from this eruption that it actually covered 11 different states in the United States. And when all was said and done, the smoke had cleared. Half of that mountain was gone. Hundreds of square miles were reduced to wasteland. 57 people were killed and, and, and thousands of animals died. It caused over $3 billion worth of damage. It's been declared the most disastrous volcanic eruption in all of U.S. history. The year was 1980. The eruption, of course, was Mount St. Helens. Turn to somebody and say, praise God, he finally picked one we all know. Okay? You know what I'm saying? I'm here for you. I care about you. And I'm not going to guarantee it for next week. But, uh, but anyway, we, hey, hey, we all have heard of Mount St. Helens, right? Finally got one we can agree upon. And we can agree upon, hello, that was a horrible disaster, right? But once again, folks, you know the theme. With all due respect to those who lost their lives in the eruption of Mount St. Helens, what if I were to tell you I know of a disaster that makes Mount St. Helens look like a mere scratch on the arm? Okay, and what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur at just one place at one country at one time, but this disaster is going on right now, today, all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Folks, once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And folks, the facts are simply this. We Christians, we don't battle here and there once in a while. Are you kidding me? We go to war every single day. Have you noticed it's a challenge just getting out of bed? Why? Because we're in a war. Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, you entered into, Christian, a spiritual war against a real-life demonic host whose sole purpose every day is to destroy your effectiveness for Jesus Christ and to try to get you to sin against God, okay? And so in order for you and I to stop getting duped and unnecessarily so beat up, spiritually all over the place we're going to continue our study the satanic war on the christian now we've already seen if you're going to win that war what's the first thing bobby you got to know who your enemy is we already dealt with that the second thing what your enemy is like the third thing the tactic of your enemy the fourth thing the destruction from your enemy the fifth thing the temptation from your enemy and the last two times we saw the sixth thing was praise god the protection from the enemy and that's the good news it's god didn't just say hey you're in the spiritual war see you later no, we saw the good news was what? God has not left us hanging high and dry when it comes to this daily cosmic battle that we are in as Christians, okay? We saw he's given us, listen, his full-blown protection, his amazing weaponry to stand our ground, listen, Christian, and be victorious in every single situation if you just do what he says to do. And what's that? You stand firm in him, we're going to see it again today, in his power, and you what? You put on the armor of God. 
That's all you got to do. And God says everything is going to be just great. So we began to tear that apart. Well, what does that look like? What is the armor of God? And we saw so far the armor of God is designed for war. And the last time, if you remember, we saw it was designed for victory. And that was the good news. Listen, it's common sense, right? How many times do we read that and we're not paying attention? This is not my armor. This is not your armor. It's not some plastic uh, remake that we buy at Walmart and falls apart three days later. It's whose? This is God's armor. So what's that mean? Does God ever lose? Never. So this is his armor that he gives us. And if you just put the stuff on and leave it on, as the Greek says, hey, things are going to go great. It's designed for war, but it's designed for victory. Okay. And we saw that, that it's designed for victory in a couple different ways. Number one, the need for victory. As we began to tear apart Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, right? And we saw that right there in verse 12, it tells us why does God give us the armor in the first place? Why? Because not all of our battles against flesh and blood. There really is a demonic host out there. So there's a need to have victory. Amen? Then we saw the solution for victory was the second part. And, and so that God, he tells us, what do you do? Right? How do you, how do you stand firm? Right? And you've done everything to stand. What do you do? You stand firm in God's mighty power and you put on the whole armor of God. That's his solution. Right? No gimmicks. I don't need to scream at a demon, yell at the devil. I don't need to do all that man-made techniques. We'll get to that today. Lord willing. Okay, I don't need to do that. I just stand firm in God's mighty power, put on his armor. Now that's where we left off, okay? And we left off with that first part of God's medicine, his solution, stand firm in his mighty power. Lord willing, the next three studies is all about his armor. But this one, we saw the first of the two solutions, stand firm in God's mighty power. That's where we left off last time. All right, that's cool. That's one of those Christianese phrases. Stand firm in God's mighty power. Yep, you betcha. That's what I'm going to do every single day. How do you do that, Bob? Right? We, we, we put on that front like, we don't, what? So how do you practically, what does that look like? Because this is important. Because if you do what God says to do, you're on the uptake when it comes to spiritual warfare. You're not down there always drudging around at the bottom. You're standing firm in Christ. So I want to know, right? Does anybody else? Praise God all two of you. The rest of you will keep praying for you. I'm glad you're here, right? No, I want to know. So practically, what does that look like? Let's get beyond the Christianese. How do you stand firm every day in the power of God? Okay, well, let's go back to that text that tells us what that looks like. Open your Bibles again, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go back to that text. Let's again tear it apart for all it's worth. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. What does it mean to stand in God's power, right? Amidst this battle that we're in, right? Let's go ahead and stand as we sing Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13, right? Here's what it is, the armor of God. Finally be strong in what? In who? The Lord. And in his what? His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, not maybe, not might, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because this is what's going on every day. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, uh, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, what do you do? You're still standing. Well, you may be seated, though. Okay. Uh, you can stand if you want, but uh, I recommend that you be seated. Uh, but, uh, yeah, seriously, you can be seated. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so what we saw here, and let's just recap a little bit from last time. We saw that, well, this is the great news, okay? God doesn't just say, hey, you're in a battle, you're on your own. He gives us his solution for the spiritual battle that we're in every single day, right? And I called it the spiritual warfare sandwich, right? Because you got 10, right, and 11, 
Then you got 12 that tells you the problem, and then you got 13, right? So 12 is kind of like the, the middle part of the sandwich there. It tells you the problem. Oh, no, it's not against just flesh and blood, spiritual warfare. Oh, but God puts you the bread on top and bottom. Snatch, put right in between the problem. God gives you the solution uh, is what he says there. And what he says is you just do two things, Christian. Turn to somebody and say, just two things. Okay, I'm telling you, people are getting kind of wild out there. Two things, and he says what? Stand strong in what? Not yourself, not your own strength. Stand strong in God's mighty power, one, and put on the full armor of God. Right? Now, last time we saw that power, the word there in the Greek was absolutely amazing. It wasn't just power, that's kratos, which means power, force, or strength. It's actually iskus kratos. So the, the, the mindset in the Greek here is a mind-blowing, amazing power. It's not just God's powerful. It's just God's power is just so mind-blowing, you can't even believe it. And that's what it means. It means mighty power, mighty force, mighty strength. This is what he says that we are to stand strong on. Now, believe it or not, contextually, that's in Ephesians 6, Paul actually talks about this mighty iskus kratos, this power of God that we stand firm in, that the enemy cannot penetrate. We don't need to walk around in fear. We can have victory in Christ if you just stand in this mighty power. He talks about this even as far back as Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning. He makes an appeal that this is what we have available in Christ. And then later in 6, he says, put that power on, stand in it, okay? Let's take a look at that text, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. He says, I pray also, Ephesians church, Christians, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know several things. And he starts to nail them down. That you know that the hope to which he has called you, amen, the glorious, number two, the glorious or the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, Amen? But also his what? His incomparably great power for us who believe. Just over the top. You can't even believe it. Can't even conceive. God's not just powerful. It's just you can't. He's just, it's unbelievable. That's what we saw the examples last week, right? Then he goes on. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength. There's the words again. Iskus kratos. God's mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the world to come. Who's in charge here? Who's the all-powerful one? God, Jesus Christ, right? That's the good news. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for who? Us, the church, right? God's in control. Jesus has got all the power, all authority. It's in him. Jesus is above of us. We don't need to be afraid. This is the power that Paul says back in Ephesians 1 that in essence is available. This is part of the blessings of being a Christian. This is the power, the amazing incomparable power that is available to us as a Christian when we get saved. And so Paul then goes to 6 and says, now stand strong in that power. As we saw there, he mentions that that's the same kind of power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. How many of you guys would say that takes a little bit of power? I just try to keep people awake in my sermon. That's enough as it is. I ain't got the power to do that, apparently. Right? But this is like, man, from the dead, right? As we saw last time, we broke it down. We also see that power demonstrated in God and Jesus doing his miracles and defeating death itself and defeating Satan, uh, his display of all creation. Remember that? This is Iskus Kratos. Again, this was what Paul says. You just stand firm in that. I told you at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, I'm telling you again when it comes to spiritual warfare, you just stand strong in that power, Christian, that you have in Christ. Have a great day. Right? That's in essence what he's saying. That's what we have available. We are not left hanging high and dry. That's step one 
of dealing with spiritual warfare. So again, that leads us again to that question. Well, that's cool. That's great. I get it. From beginning to end of Ephesians, that's, it's all available to us. It's really there. It's not make-believe. But how do you do it? How do you stand strong in that power? I know it. I'm reading in the scripture, but how do you practically do it? Now, and the reason why I say that is because, remember, the Greek said, when it comes to God's mighty power and standing in it, okay, it says that you need to do it, be constantly strengthened in that power. So what does that mean? That means every single day, day in, day out, this is something you need to be doing. This is a part of your spiritual routine. Every single day, Christian, you need to be plugged into this mighty iskus kratos, this power of God. The armor we saw was different. The armor in the Greek says you put it on and you leave it on. And the emphasis was now put it on. Put it on now and leave it on. But the power in the Greek was something that continues on. Every day you need to seek the power of God. Now again, you're still going, okay, that's cool. You're still not answering my question. How do you practically do that? Every day, the Bible says, I've got to stand strong in this mighty power of God. I have to constantly be strengthened. How do you do that? Well, you know how it is? Let's do a drum roll, because this is very profound, ready? It's by following the Christian basics. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry to let down. But see, that's the trick, right? Because we all start out with the basics, right? And what, what do I mean by the basics? Let, let, me, let me nail that one down for you. By daily Bible reading, by daily prayer, by daily witnessing, by daily listening and singing, God-honoring worship music, by daily fellowshipping with godly Christians, you know, all the Christian basics, right? Why? Right? Because, listen, when you're reading the Bible, where's your mind? On the things of God. When you're praying, where's your mind? On the things of God. When you're listening and singing to God-honoring worship music, where's your mind? Right? When you're fellowshipping with godly Christian, where's your mind? All these are ways that we fulfill another, if you will, Christianese command. It's called abiding in Christ. That's what it is. Now, see, the benefit of abiding in Christ is that's when you get the power of Christ. See, I didn't say that. Jesus did. He said, you better stay with me, stay plugged into me, because apart from me, uh, you're going to be toast. That's the Crone translation. Here's what Jesus said, John 15, 5 through 6. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the what? You're the branches. Now, here's the good news. If a man remains in me and I in him, what's going to happen? Notice the word there. You're not just going to bear fruit. What's he say? Much fruit, mega fruit, big fruit, lots of fruit. Good things are going to happen, right? But conversely, what? Apart from me, you get unplugged from the vine, what's going to happen? Nothing. A big zero burger, right? If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Dry, crackly, crusty, right? Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay? Now, Christian, how many times do we get burned when it comes to our daily walk with Jesus Christ, daily empowerment in Christ, certainly when we're trying to stand against spiritual warfare, and we get burned because we're not doing what Jesus simply said here? And I think part of it is because it's, again, Christian basics. Oh, come on. I know that. I know I'm supposed to daily read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to daily pray and witness and hang out with godly. You know, it's sad today that you have to add that word, godly Christians. But you need to. Godly Christians. I, I, I'm constantly singing and praising God. with God. I'm do, I, I, I learned that when I first got saved. But are you still doing it? Because if you're not doing it, you're getting tricked. You're getting unplugged from the vine. And Jesus said, if you don't abide in him, it's going to amount to a big giant nothing. You're going to get unplugged. You're going to get all dry, crackly, withered up, just like a twig. You break it off. It looks good for a while. And see, isn't that the trick? 
Oh yeah, I know. You know, when I first got saved, I was on fire. Nobody had to give me a sermon. Nobody twisted my arm. I just naturally read the Bible and prayed and witnessed and sang songs to Jesus. It was awesome, right? And then you get unplugged. And it's like if you could picture somebody just ripping a, a, a branch off the vine. That looks good for a while. Then a week goes by. And the leaves start to wither up there. Another week goes by and it starts to go from green to light brown. Dark brown, crusty. <laughs> and then once again, well, hey, it's a good fire starter. Right? Where's the campfire? And that's what Jesus is saying, folks. Listen, okay? And that's what the enemy does. He tricks us into thinking like, oh, I'm so spiritual, I don't need to do the Christian basics. Yes, you do. The basics are the foundation. The basics are the key to daily be constantly strengthened in God's mighty power. Why? Because Jesus said you get unplugged from him, you can do nothing. Do you think you're going to stand against the enemy? You ain't got no power. You don't have any power. Now, why does the enemy do that? Because, listen, the devil knows that when we get unplugged from Christ, it is the pathway to a powerless Christian life. I'll say that again. The devil knows that when we get unplugged from Christ in these daily activities, that is the pathway to a powerless Christian life. We ain't got the power. We ain't got the power to, to be that positive example. We ain't got the power to, to be used of God. We ain't got the power to, to deal with the temptation that's coming our way every single way. And this is what the enemy does. I don't know if it's spiritual pride. I don't know if it's just distraction from the world. It, it could be a multitude of things. But don't you ever, Christian, allow anybody to get you employed from the vine. What do I mean by that? If you right now today did not read your Bible, pray, if you're not focusing on witnessing to the lost, if you're not singing godly worship songs and you have no desire to hang out with godly Christians, you're unplugged. That's what's happening. It has nothing to do with legalism. It's all about spiritual warfare because the enemy knows if he can get you unplugged from that and then mask it with, well, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks, Mr. Crackly Crunchy. Right? And that's usually when you're in somebody's office for counseling. <gasps> I don't understand why. <laughs> you come to me for counseling, right? I hate to blow the secret, but oftentimes you'll come and I don't care what the situation is, I'm going to ask you. Okay, that's cool. Interesting. We'll talk about that in just a second. But let me start off with a question. How's your walk with Jesus Christ? Because the power and the wisdom you need is found in him. And maybe that's why you're struggling. Or we'll still talk about some other things, but maybe that's why you're struggling. This is getting overwhelming you because you got unplugged from Christ. This is what is going on, okay? Now, let me give you an example. You abide in Christ, you're empowered by Christ. We don't see that, right? How many of you guys see it when you're praying and all of a sudden you start to glow? Please say no. But spiritually, that's what's happening. We're getting empowered, right? Now, let me give you an analogy, right? Uh, how many, have you guys ever, me, me and Billy get one time, we got these glow-in-the-dark socks. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, they were so cool, man. I could, it's a guy thing. Yeah, they are cool. See, you know, he's a guy, right? And so we, so we got him, and we go straight in his room. All right, let's shut out the lights. And we opened the, got him out of the package. And we shut out the lights, and, 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 and nothing. <laughs> and it was a big letdown. Well, apparently, you got to read the directions, which is against the law in my house as a guy, right? <laughs> so we had, we had to humble ourselves and read the directions. And the direction says you have to place them, if you want to get them to go in the dark, you have to place them to a source of light, like a light bulb. So that's what we did. We, 
can't believe I had to read the directions. So, anyway, so I put them next to the light bulb, left them there for a little while, and sure enough, then we turned out the light, and guess what? Woo-hoo! Man, these things are cool. Let's get another pair, right? Glow-in-the-dark socks. You know, some people do them on the ceiling with the sticker things or whatever. You, know, you need to get light. When you, the glow-in-the-dark socks work when you put them next to a light source. Here's where I'm going with that. Christian, every day, we need to be not glow-in-the-dark socks. Praise God. We need to be glow-in-the-dark saints, in this dark and dying world that when we are so empowered we're so close to the light Jesus Christ every day we glow wherever we go now did you know that that's actually what Paul said in Philippians let me bring that text up I love this he says Philippians 2 14 through 15 do everything how much how much is that everything you guys can read everything without what Whoa, are you serious? Whoa, without arguing or complaining, why? Because you live like that, Christian, whoo, man, here it is. You may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you what? You shine like stars in the universe. You're a glow-in-the-dark saint, why? Because you're doing everything without complaining or arguing. Are you serious? Who can do that? You can if you're walking in the power of Christ. God doesn't tell us something to do in Scripture. He doesn't give us the ability to do through Him. Right? And so that's the issue. Well, well, how how can I get that power so I'm doing everything without complaining and arguing so that I can be that glow-in-the-dark saint wherever I go in this dark and dying world by seeking that power in Christ, by getting charged up next to the light, by abiding in Christ. Well, how do I do that? By the basics, daily Bible reading, daily prayer, daily witnessing, daily singing, listening to God-honoring worship music, fellowshiping with godly Christians. Every time you read the Bible, picture yourself like that glow-in-the-dark sock. Every time you're praying to God, you don't see it happening, but spiritually, mm, you're getting charged up. Every time you're hanging out with godly Christians and having godly fellowship, you're encouraging one another in the Lord. Mm, and especially that one, we know that. Have you ever had great godly fellowship time? I mean, you literally feel like you're charged up, right? Conversely, have you ever been around some people that all they do is argue and complain all the time? Okay, I gotta go clean my dog's toenails. And you get out of there, right? Because it drags you down, right? Just sucks the light right out of you. But godly singing, have you ever just listened for a long time? Not just in Sunday services, but you're just of your own accord. By the Spirit of God, you're listening to God-honoring worship music. And you're close to the light. That's how it happens, folks, okay? When we draw near to Christ every single day, the things we call Christian basics, don't ever get away from those. That's how you get charged up. That's how you're standing in God's mighty power. Now, I want to give you one more illustration other than the glow-in-the-dark socks. What does it look like when you're all charged up? Well, you're functioning correctly. And I want to use the example of a toy. Let's go back in time. Maybe you guys remember this toy. But this is an old-fashioned toy, okay? And it's got its batteries fully charged. And when the toy is fully charged, it's kind of fun. So let's take a look at this first example. What else do we have? we got all kinds of stuff to show you. This is a... Pretty old, it's an older VTech, Little Smart Sing and Smile Pals. I say older, meaning it's not a new one, that's for sure. So let's turn it on to the first setting. Ooh, let's hit this. Pretty neat. And spin this. Pretty cool, let's press the duckies. Duck. 
Oh, so that lights up. And the kitties? Cat. And the puppy? Dog. And the rabbit? Bunny. Hmm. And the numbers? Green circle. Ooh, so they're telling you shapes? Yellow star. And colors? Red square. Orange triangle. And we've got the keys down here. A, B, C, D, E. And this lights up too when you do that. A, B, C, D, E. Duck. Cat, dog, red, yellow, green. Pretty neat. That's pretty neat, right? When it's actually working, when it's fully charged, it's kind of cool. You can't keep your fingers off of it. You know what I'm saying? You just got to keep poking it. But imagine the exact same toy, but the batteries are running low. It ain't very fun. Watch this. laughing. Tell me this is not true. Every day we are in a spiritual war, right? But half the time we ain't got no energy because we are unplugged from Christ. And that's what we're doing. How come it's not going so good? Here comes the enemy again. Away from me. Help me, Pastor Billy. I Why? Because you don't have the strength. Fully charged is kind of fun being a Christian. You get unplugged. It doesn't have to be that way. That's what Paul's saying here. Christian, that's not the normal Christian life. If that's where you're at, you got unplugged with Christ. Just deal with it, okay? Own up to it as if God doesn't know. Somebody tricked you. I don't care if you, I just did that one. Listen, that's spiritual pride. Repent. Get back to Christ every single day. Get back every day. Just fall in love with him again. See, if you love him, you keep his commandments. If you love him, nobody's got to tell you. But has your love been taken away? When your love gets taken away, it unplugs you from Christ. Get back. Just get plugged back into Jesus, okay? This is his plea with us in Ephesians 6. He's given us everything we need. When it comes to spiritual warfare, it happens every day, whether you got power or you got no power, it doesn't stop. But this is the good news. Be constantly strengthened day in, day out in his mighty power. Abide in Christ and get powered up. Be that glow-in-the-dark saint. And you will have the strength to stand against anything the enemy throws against you. I didn't say God did. And that's good news. And one guy, he puts it this way. He says, listen, if you think as a believer in Jesus Christ you are not in a spiritual war, then you are deceived and or ignorant. He says, when you got saved, you became a target. No more Mr. Nice Guy. You are on a satanic hit list. And if you're really a Christian and you're really living and walking with Jesus Christ, they are coming after you. There is no discharge in this war. While you and I are alive in this world, listen, the devil will be there with his evil ones. He will fight us to the end. Listen, he will fight us to our deathbed. It is a mighty conflict, but... 
I can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I can clothe myself with the whole armor of God. And so that's the daily question, Christian. Are you ready for the battle? Are you alert? Are you on your feet? Or are you just indulging in your weaknesses and whims and fancies and pitying yourself and grumbling and complaining about this problem and that situation and why you're always on the back end of temptation? He says you need to rise up, Christian, shake them off, stand up on your feet, and be a man. You need to realize that you're a member of the mighty regiment of God. You are fighting the battle of the Lord, and you are destined to enjoy the glorious fruits of victory throughout the countless ages of eternity through Jesus Christ. He's given everything you need to live a godly life in Christ. Have you heard the trumpet call? You need to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because you're in God's army now. Be a man. Get up and fight. Took a little bit for the batteries to kick in there. Which <laughs> getting charged up. Now that's the solution that we see before we're gonna bust into the armor. I want to look at one last thing, right? That's the that's the good news. You just stand strong in God, right? And his mighty power, get stay charged up in Christ. Right? And put on that armor and have a great day. The problem is the enemy is not only tricking us and getting us away from Christ, so we're powerless. Okay? But he also gets us to resort to other things that don't work. And that's the third thing I want to close with, the mistake for victory. And this is what the enemy wants. He wants us to make a crucial mistake. Either don't get empowered with Christ, don't put the armor on, and or, could be this one, and this is going crazy today, with all due respect, he gets us to try to deal with spiritual warfare in some other manner that he doesn't say to do. And guess what? Shocker, it doesn't work, right? Okay, so let's revisit what we saw last time. What does God say to do when you're experiencing actual spiritual warfare? Let's revisit that. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because this is really happening. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. So what do you do? Freak out and be afraid? No. Resist him. Stand. That's it. Stand. Resist him. Firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Text one, number two, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God then. Why? Resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. That's all you do. Resist. That's it. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after everything that you've done to what? To stand, okay? And this is what we saw last time. God says when it comes to spiritual warfare, you don't need gimmicks. You don't need to scream and shout at the devil or a demon. You need, don't need to buy somebody else's technique. You don't need to go to some spiritual guru who's much more spiritual and power than you and follow their 18-step course technique. You don't need none of that stuff. All God says to do, Christian, when you encounter actual demonic issues, what do you do? You just stand and resist. You stand in his strong, mighty power that the enemy cannot bust through, and you resist. You have that armor on. He cannot penetrate. And remember we saw last time? That's what the words there in the Greek mean, stand and resist. Okay? In all three of those passages, it's the same Greek word, anahistamine. Remember that? That's where we get the English word anahistamine. What's an anahistamine? It's an anti. It blocks. It prevents the allergies from getting through. Right? That's what, what, that's what God's saying here. So here's his medicine for dealing with spiritual warfare. When demons are trying to come through, when they're trying to mess with you externally, what do you do? You take God's medicine, his antihistamine. You just simply stand and resist. That's it. 
Not scream at a demon. Not do any of that other stuff. I got to call. And again, as we saw before, is that how we take care of our allergies? When allergies come your way, what you do, the common practice is, we scream at that spirit of hay fever. No, we call out those dust mites and we name them by name. No, we, we rebuke the spirit of pollen and we combine you. No, we don't. You take the medicine and it blocks it from ever coming your way. Same thing, God's antihistamine, spiritual warfare, medicine. Stan and his mighty power. Have that armor on, resist. That's, and the devil will flee from you. I didn't say it, God did. Now, that sounds apparently too simple. Because we are seeing all kinds of people doing all kinds of other man-made techniques in the church, and it ain't working. In fact, it's not just not working, it's making things worse for these people spiritually. One guy puts it this way. He says, listen, when believers go on the offensive against Satan, did God say do that? Go seek him out? Go seek out demons? Go do, no. He just said when it happens, stand and resist. He says, though, when believers go on the offensive against Satan, they are stepping out of their legitimate bounds by becoming involved in situations which the Lord has never intended for the believer. This, listen, offensive type of response, listen, was described by Peter as characteristics of false teachers. That's what false teachers do. Second Peter chapter 2, check it out. He says, often this opens the door to demonic oppression in the believer's life. In other words, it makes it way worse than way better. So real quick, I want to show you three ways that people are getting duped into these so-called deliverance ministries, okay, with all due respect, and they're trying to get people to do anything and everything to take God's medicine, his antihistamine, stand and resist, right? And, and, and the first way these so-called deliverance ministries are making things worse, okay, is they say, well, the reason why we got these deliverance ministries in the first place is because Christians can be demon-possessed. What? Now, we already saw this before, but I'm going to hit it again, okay? And they say, well, that, see, that's why we exist. That's why we got to have deliverance ministries in the church, because we got to deliver all these demons out of Christians. No, if you're a Christian, you can't have one, period, right? Let's go back to the scripture for that. We saw this before, right? 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in where, Christian? in you. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Listen, my father will love him and we, we will come to him and make our home with him, right? So in other words, according to the Bible, I think it's common sense. If God the Spirit and God the Father and God the Son have made their home in me as a Christian and they have made me their temple, then there's no stinking way in the world that God is going to scooch over and share that temple with a demon. It's completely unbiblical. Now, I can be externally oppressed, but praise God when I become born again, I can never be internally possessed by a demon. God is not going to scooch over. And this is why the Bible says I don't need to be afraid when the enemy comes my way, even with the external attacks. I don't have to be afraid. And this is what we see, 1 John 4, 4. You are from who? God, little children, right? And you have overcome him because why? Greater is he that is in me, Jesus, God, than he that is in this world. And Paul also says, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. In other words, I don't have to be afraid even when I'm experiencing real, live, actual, external oppression from the enemy. I just take God's antihistamine, I stand, I resist, the devil will flee from you. That's it. So I don't need, with all due respect, your deliverance ministry because I, as a Christian, cannot have a demon to deliver in the first place. 
right? Number one. The second way they say that they exist is because, well, uh, you say that, but in the scripture, we see that uh, Christians can be possessed and they go to church services. And what they do is they, unfortunately, like what false teachers do, they rip passages out of context. And here's one passage they want to say, well, see, this is proof that Christians have demons in church services. And they'll quote this text typically, Luke chapter 4, 31 through 35. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, pay attention to that, began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. Uh Uh-oh. He cried out to the top of his voice, ha, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all, came out without injuring him. Well, there you have it. I'd cry too. I mean, apparently, uh, Christians can have demons and and, and they're they're in church services and they pop out in the middle of a service and we need these deliverance. No! We just saw, number one, you can't have a demon if you're a Christian internally right so number two what's going on here this is a twisty in the scripture first of all this guy is not a christian because we see that contextually where they at they're in a jewish synagogue not a christian church number one number two to emphasize that even more so these people were meeting on the saturday sabbath not sunday why because that's when jewish people meet is a saturday sabbath not sunday like christians and number three the church wasn't even born yet at the timing of this passage. That doesn't happen until Acts chapter two. In fact, Jesus didn't even go to the cross yet in the time of this passage. This person is not a Christian, okay? He's a non-Christian. Non-Christians can be possessed. This is not a Christian. So no, with all due respect, I don't need your deliverance ministry because again, a Christian cannot be possessed. But this one has crept in even to the Protestant church. And they say, well, the reason why we exist as deliverance ministries, is because we have a command that we need to bind and loose demons. Yes, Bobby, I laugh too, with all due respect. And what they do is they take another passage and they take it out of context. Shocker. Let's take a look at that. Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus speaking. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, there it is, folks. Apparently, the proof text as to why. We need deliverance ministries today to bind and loose demons from all over. Not at all. That's not at all what's going on here. This is, frankly, one of the most abused passages in the Scripture today. One of them, okay? First of all, the context of this passage has nothing to do with demons. Nothing. Read the whole context. You won't even find the word demon anywhere in there. It has nothing to do with that, let alone binding and casting them out. It's all about church authority and sharing the gospel. That's what this passage is talking about. It follows contextually Peter's statement that says, you are the Christ. Peter's pronouncement that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And that's why Jesus says, you're right, on that rock, your profession of faith, that Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. That's the context there. Okay, and and there's no mention of demons here, no talk of it anywhere, okay? In fact, the words there, binding and loosening, listen, in the Greek, literally means forbid and permit, which is a church authority issue. In fact, the bind and loosening is a Jewish phraseology, if you do the homework, with all due respect, and it means to declare something forbidden or to declare it to be allowed, 
And in the context of what's going on here, Jesus said that Peter was uh, allowed to enter the kingdom himself. Why? Because he got the right answer. He got the keys. He got the authority. Right? That Jesus, the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah. The one who, that's op- that opens the door so you can go to heaven. And those who reject it, what? It's closed. And we see this working out in the process of the book of Acts when Peter preaches his sermon on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, right? What happened? The doors of the kingdom were open. The gospel was declared. Those who didn't believe it, it was what? It was shut. That's the forbidding and the permitting that's going on here, the binding and the loosing. It's all about church authority in sharing the gospel. That's it. It has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. You understand it? That's what the context says. In fact, think about this. I remember an instructor in seminary brought this point out and go, man, you're, you're a genius, right? Dr. Couch. And he says, listen, stop it. Erase all that from your brain. Even if you wanted to say, and it's nowhere in the text, but even if you wanted to say, oh, yeah, we're still going to bind and loose demons, he says, stop and think about this. Why would you sit there and bind an actual demon and then turn around and lose it? It <laughs> doesn't make sense. Why does it make sense? Because that's not what the text is saying. It's talking about the kingdom, going in, opening it up, closing it for those who accept, those who reject, as the church shares the gospel. That's all that's talking about. Now, yet for some goofy reason, that doesn't keep these deliverance ministries from having all their techniques as to how you and I need to deal with spiritual warfare. Right? Now, this is just one. I could have went on for a long time. This is just one, and this is not all of them. Remember, what does God say? If you are experiencing some sort of actual real-life demonic issue, what do you do? Two things. Stand and resist. That's it. That's it. Here's just one deliverance ministry that I found online. And this isn't all of them. I just stopped it at 25. See if you'll be able to remember all this next time you're attacked. Okay? But let's take a look. Here's, what, here's all the things you've got to do. All these man-made techniques. Well, first of all, you've got to make sure your heart's clean. Right? Well, first of all, who knows the heart? The scripture says we don't even know the heart. Right? But anyway, whatever. Make sure your heart's clean. Uh, you need to pray about deliverance ministry assignments. Uh, then you need to have a team of intercessors praying in another room. And then you need to pray for the gifts to be in operation. Well, that happened when you first got saved, by the way. Uh, you need to pray in tongues, their version of gibberish. Uh, you need to plead the blood of Jesus. You need to fast before the session. You need to ask the Lord to reveal You need to, uh, well, first of all, don't cast these devils out alone. Uh, you need to study scripture. I wish you would, with all due respect. Uh, warn the one who's getting ministered in advance that they'll be tempted to run. No kidding, Bob. Okay. Uh, you need to ask the one being ministered to if it's okay to touch them before the session begins. You know why? It's because it's called a lawsuit. Okay. Uh, designate one person as the leader. Uh, submit any words of so-called knowledge, discerning experience, other prophetic insight to the leader so they can use them at the right time. You know, kind of like bullets during the middle of the battle. Uh, uh, ask the person if they know what the issues are. Then why are they going to you? Uh, hey, have the person seeking deliverance forgive anyone uh, uh, don't get distracted by the manifestations and uh, bind them. Uh, uh, try to be safe, and, and you can't always cast out all the demons in one session. You know, hey, a person can only take so much. You know, just, it might take a few times at this technique. And hey, try to be led by the Holy Spirit. Again, I wish you would. Okay, pray for protection in yourselves and your family and your friends, and, and break and bind all retaliatory attacks. And that's right. Don't, never share publicly what happens in a deliverance session. I wonder why. That's kind of freaky, but freaky. Uh, don't forget to have a trash clan. A trash can and Kleenex on hand. <laughs> now, first of all, who can remember all that stuff? I mean, you're, if you're actually experiencing externally an actual oppression from an actual demonic source, are you going to remember any of that? That's why God keeps it simple. Stand, resist. That's it. Have a great day. 
But these guys got all these techniques out there, all these things you gotta memorize, you gotta do all this stuff. And, and, and again, it doesn't work. Now listen, by the way, by the way, for those of you wondering, what's up with the Kleenex and the trash can? I wish it was that simple, but that's not. Well, let me give you a taste. How would you like to go to a church service? And this is your normal church service. This is a so-called deliverance ministry church service with all due respect. And this is being looked upon as much more spiritual than what you and I do in our services with all due respect. But here's what's going on. Kleenex, trash can. Let's take a look. Demonic possession, the idea that evil spirits or the devil can move into human bodies, somehow occupy us, it's not just the stuff of horror films. In fact, to hear the pastor we meet tonight tell it, we've all got our demons, a statement that might not sound so controversial until you see how he goes about getting rid of them. I visited his congregation for our series, Beyond Belief. At the Agape Bible Fellowship in East Aurora, a small town outside Buffalo, an extraordinary ministry is taking place. Our church service is, is pretty, it's, it's normal. You know, we open in prayer, we sing praise songs, we uh, open the Word of God, most importantly. At first glance, that seems about right. On a recent Saturday, we visited Agape, and it seems like any other church in any other town. But the paper towels and shopping bags stacked neatly in the back of the room are a clue that something's different here. When they are brought out, it's a sign that the fireworks are about to begin. Most of our services are just a normal Baptist service. Until we get to the end when we tackle the believers. And when Pastor John says tackles, he means it literally. Agape Bible Church is a deliverance church where they say they expel demons through prayer. I bind you. No. I bind you. No. Now listen, it begins quietly. I command every demon right now to look up to the third heaven. But they leave through incessant yawns, and then sometimes they'll leave with uh, pockets of air coming up, burps, or they'll leave with uh, with actual mucus. Some of this is painful. Uh, it's just that demon having to leave under the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. By 9 o'clock, the room is filled with screams, <laughs> moans, writhing bodies. Up and out, up and out. Diane Kohler says deliverance has changed her life. Just comes right up, and um, it's such a cleansing feeling. It's uh, um, a relief. You know you're getting rid of these demons. It's just amazing what the Lord can do to get rid of these things in me. And if it looks a little off-putting, Pastor John says that's the point. People have to get over the hump of this looks foolish. This looks like something I didn't do in church last Sunday. This looks weird. But God uses it, we find, to humble people for them to finally admit that they may not know everything and to before God be honest and say, I need help. For these uh, believers, you, uh, Pastor John's deliverance ministry helps with everything from uh, sins of the flesh, adulterers, drunkards, drug addicts, to the surrender to the occult, I break any and all curses, to sicknesses, all spirits of muscle spasm, cramps, uh, restless legs, 
Um, all the demons that are in the muscles, hemorrhoids. If you're breathing, you got them. If you're not breathing, don't worry about it. Everybody's got them. It's just a question of how many do you got? Everybody's got them, he says, including himself. Wow. Hey, first of all, isn't it interesting that the very moment we start to expose this demonic lie, our lights start freaking out? Number one. Number two, but uh, with all due respect, how would you like to go to that church service? And that's more spiritual than what we do? And we are looked down upon? Excuse me? Folks, any church service, with all due respect, where so-called Christians are trying to yawn up, burp up, spit out a demon in a bag... It's about as sad as this story. In Oklahoma, there's a lot of Indian tribes. A long time ago, there was this Indian tribe on either side of this really big lake out there. And sometimes they would meet up, uh, different tribes uh, on either side of the lake, they would meet up together, had their meetings there. But it was during this time, as the story goes, that a very handsome young Indian man met this very beautiful young Indian girl from either side of the lake there, and they fell in love with each other head over heels. But they didn't get to see each other too much because they were on either side of the lake, right? And, and so they, they started, it, listen, ladies, you're going to love this. They started this little romantic tradition just between the two, right? Each night, every single night, this young man would stand on the edge of his side of the lake there, and he would call out this Indian love call uh, across the water of the lake. And sure enough, soon he would hear her voice coming back in this beautiful melody, her love call back to him. And they did this every single night. He would call to her and she would call back to him. And well, one night during the course of their relationship, it was, it was the end of January. It was freezing. It was snowy. It was messy. And, and, and he's out there and he's doing his nightly ritual. He's, he's calling out his love call. And sure enough, he hears her call coming back and he just can't stand it. He says to himself, he says, man, I know it's cold. It's difficult. I'm young. I'm, I'm strong. I'm virile. And I know I can do this. Listen. So he dived into the lake, okay, to swim across to his beloved. But he got about halfway out there, and he got so cold, and he realized he ain't going to make it. He, he was too far to go back, and he was too far to make it to her. Listen, ladies. So he lifted himself up out of the water one last time. In his last breath, he called out one last time his Indian love call and sank beneath the water and drowned. So the tribes, they got together, and they felt the need to recognize what this young man had done so that people in the future would look back and remember what he had did. And they decided to name the lake after him. And they called the lake, Lake Stupid. <laughs> Waited all week to share that, man. That was almost as good as the turbo encabulator. But here's my point. With all due respect, if you're saying that a Christian can be possessed, number one, let alone that somehow you're going to be able to yawn up a demon, burp out a demon, spit up a demon, and any of the other so-called endless man-made techniques from these so-called deliverance ministries. And if you think you're going to win over spiritual warfare, guess what? You're swimming around like stupid. Okay, and the rule goes like this. I'm sorry to be blunt, but listen, we've got to take this serious, folks. Because this, I'm sorry, the lost looks at that behavior and mocks Christianity. But if you want to stay out of Lake stupid... Quit hanging around people who are swimming in Lake Stupid. Is that your profound truth for the, today? Okay. Just do what God says to do. Don't follow any of those goofball techniques. Just do what he says. When spiritual warfare comes your way, just stand and resist. And what's the Bible say? The devil will 
flee from you. Got it? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name the Bible says under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this. Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working 
uh, in the natural, in the normal world, uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.